Otherwise, grab your Bible and open to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Go to that other picture of Malcolm Forbes. Malcolm Forbes, I want to talk to you about Malcolm Forbes. You don't know him. You don't know him. He died in the 90s. But Malcolm Forbes, uh, pretty well-known, pretty famous guy for his business and financial magazine, very cleverly named Forbes. Um, rich guy, though, also known for his pretty lavish lifestyle. Forbes was a dude who found tons of joy in his stuff. Uh, he was a collector of all kinds of stuff, things that were extravagant, not just like stamps or seashells or something. He collected all kinds of stuff jets and yachts, and he collected hot air balloons and Harley Davidson motorcycles. He had all kinds of stuff, including, I brought one picture because I knew you wouldn't know what it was. This is called a Fabergé egg. This one I think is worth over a million dollars. So yeah. Anyway, there was a book written about Forbes called Forbes, The Man Who Had Everything. He had castles and hotels and motorcycles and jets and stuff. He actually coined the phrase, he who dies with the most toys wins. So my question for us tonight as we think about Forbes and other rich people like it, like, did he win? Did he really have everything? You can make the argument that the joy he had in his stuff really just kept him searching for more. Even though he had everything his heart desired, everything he thought of, crazy, really expensive eggs or whatever, like he was chasing all of it. But he always wanted more. There was always something missing, something he just kept pursuing and kept chasing after. Last Sunday, we began to look at what the Bible has to say about true joy, about real joy. If you weren't here Sunday, just to kind of give you a few thoughts about that as we get back into Philippians, joy, real joy, can only be found in the Lord. Say it another way, true joy, real joy, can only begin with salvation, a right relationship with God begins with believing what we read in the Bible about Jesus, that he died for your sin, that only by putting your trust in him can you really be forgiven of your sin. So true joy starts with salvation. True joy comes with being forgiven and being made right with God and knowing that you're saved from your sin. And that's how Christians live. That's what Christians know. They have real joy in Christ because they know that their relationship with God is what it's supposed to be. It doesn't matter how old you are or what grade you're in. If you're a Christian, you believe that. And as a Christian, you need to fight for your joy. Something we emphasized on Sunday. You need to work hard at making sure that you're not looking for joy in all the wrong stuff. Looking for joy outside of your relationship with Christ. Uh, that you're not trying to find joy in, in possessions or in people, but that your joy comes from your relationship with Christ. Again, a little taste of that on Sunday. If you missed it, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. A Christian is saved then where 
That's where joy begins. And their joy only grows as their relationship with Christ grows. Our joy is always connected to our relationship with Christ. And I would say to you, that is where the battle for true joy is often won or lost in our connection to Christ. A Christian, think about it, begins to lose their joy as they shift their eyes away from Christ start to fix it more on the pleasures of this world. A Christian loses their joy when they don't live the way they should, when they don't live like the way God calls us to live, when they live in their sin and they hide their sin and they're sort of giving into that temptation to sin all the time. Christian loses their joy when they distance themselves from God and his word and his people. Battle for joy is... It's one and lost here. It's always in connection to our relationship with Christ. The level of your joy is always connected to Christ. In the Bible, we read really helpful verse. Jesus said that he came to make our joy complete. He came to fill us with his joy and to make sure that we had all the joy that we could handle. Like he came to fill it up. John 15, 11. That's why God tells us to pursue him over and over and over. Uh, Isaiah 55, 6, seek the Lord while he may be found. Matthew twenty two thirty six, 36, God says, love me with all your heart, soul, and mind. Follow me, come after me, abide in me, John 15. Draw near to God, James 4. Draw near to the Father through Christ, Hebrews 7. Over and over and over, you need to pursue me, God says. Why does God have to tell us that much to pursue him? Why does God do that? I think Paul thought about that question and he answered it. This is what sinful man is like. Paul says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. God places such an emphasis on our relationship with him because in our sinful state, we are so insistent. We are so determined that we do not need him. We are so stubborn that way in our effort to prove to God that we don't need him. We try to find joy in all the things that this life can offer. I'll be fine without you, God. I can be happy without you, Jesus. That's what the sinful heart says. And listen, you don't have to be rich like Forbes or like Solomon. We talked about him on Sunday. You don't have to have endless cash to do this. You just need a sinful heart. And you have one. And that sinful heart just says, I'll find joy in stuff, in achievements, I'm going to find joy in in relationships. I'm going to find joy in all that this world has to offer. 
There's a little bit more to this section that we covered on Sunday, and I think it's going to be helpful for us again tonight just to kind of finish what's here. So back to Philippians 3, and just to give you a little bit different big idea tonight, Jesus is the source of true joy. Jesus is, is the source of true joy, of lasting joy. Let's just read our text and then see what God has in store for us tonight. Philippians 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Again, Sunday, we looked at these first three verses already. Just quick review. We, We know that a believer's joy is so much better than anything the world can offer because our joy is, it's in the Lord. Our joy is is fixed. Christian's joy isn't in, you know, how fast his package from Amazon Prime gets to his house. It's, it's fixed in that we belong to Christ. Joy that's permanent, a joy that's unchanging because we know our salvation's sealed and it's secured and there's nothing that can change that. What joy there is in knowing that we don't have to worry about that. We don't have to keep earning God's forgiveness every day. We understand that our joy is under attack and that joy needs to be protected. We do that by filling our lives with the word of God. We we do that by living our lives according to his truth. Not only do we protect our joy, but believers also try to grow. They, They try to foster their joy by clinging to Jesus. Your joy is going to grow when you spend time with your Lord. Your joy is going to increase when you study his word, when you talk to him in prayer. When you grow in your faith, your joy grows right along with it. And I want to finish this section because really verse 4 through 11 is Paul's kind of personal testimony here. That would maybe be point number four if you were looking at all this together. This is just Paul's life. 
And it's so helpful to look at it. It's so good for us to see it because it's a perfect illustration of what he's talking about. Uh, Let me explain these sort of strange verses for us. Those first four things he says, this is all about Paul's privileged Jewish descent, like his family line. Verse 5, he says he was circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews. We're like, what? But they would understand that. The, the believers in Philippi would get it. These are incredible privileges, inherited privileges because of the family that he's born into. That's all it is. He's saying, I belong to the best family, the best family. I had the best opportunities. I had the most exposure to God's law. I had the best parents, the best teachers. You couldn't make a better family tree for someone to be right with God or be pleasing in God's mind. He, he had this upbringing like no one else. Incredible privilege. All that's there. And then, still in verse 5, these three other things. To the law of Pharisee, verse 6, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, found blameless. These are just personal achievements. It's stuff that he's done. And I know we read it and we're like, I don't really know what that's about, but he's just laying it out. You can't even begin to compete with my training. You can't even begin to compete with my, maybe my personal passion for, for God's law. You can't even compete with my obedience to God's law. He's like the perfect church kid, all grown up, had all the adventure club pins, did Awana on his own time, twice, more, I don't know. Guy like this takes great notes for every sermon. The, The kid every small group leader is calling on for the right answer. That, that's what he's saying. This is who he is. He isn't saying that he's sinless. He's just saying he's been really awesome in all the stuff that God's word has commanded. So, you know, what's the point? What is all this, Paul? Well, verse 7, he says, Whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. If there was ever a guy to live who could actually put confidence in their flesh, confidence in their works, it would be Paul. That's what he's saying. But he doesn't. Even though he just said, don't put confidence in the flesh, he gives us the evidence of why he could. But the point is, is that he doesn't. And if he doesn't, then no one else should ever even come close to thinking about doing that. Just put this next picture up. I don't know how else to explain this. It's like Paul is a $2 million Ferrari. This isn't even the most expensive car. I just couldn't pronounce the ones higher on the list. $2 
And I can say Ferrari. So this is a $2 million car. Guess which one you are. (laughs) You're not the one on the left. You're the little tykes, whatever this thing's called. This little car, this cozy coupe thing. Like, that's you. That's you. You can't compete with Paul. All right, take that picture down because it's distracting me. You can't compete with Paul. That's what he's saying. And if a guy like Paul is saying this, it's so foolish for anyone else to ever think, oh, you know, I could do this on my own. So foolish to, to not listen to Paul and not think that we don't need Jesus, to think that we could somehow earn God's favor on our own. Crazy to think that when this guy says, I would never think that. He had the privilege and the achievement This amazing example, this guy could but doesn't, and he says not to, and says he says, all of that I counted as loss for the sake of Christ, his accomplishment, his privilege, his family tree, all that stuff. And those are things that a lot of people in Paul's day would have said, oh, I'll take that. Yep, give it to me. Love it. I'll swap you right now. I would be joyful all my days to have what you have and, and, and Paul says, it's worth nada, nothing. The only thing in Paul's life that's worth boasting in is it's Jesus. It's not his birth certificate. It's not this training that he had. It's not his accomplishments. Paul's treasure, he says, is Jesus. And verse 8 just begins to unpack that for us. Why is Jesus the source of true joy, lasting joy, Just follow the spotlight as it moves from Paul to Jesus. Jesus, this amazing treasure. Verse 8, Paul says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. This is just Paul's description of his relationship with Christ. That's what... Everyone's relationship with Christ as a believer, that's what it's like. Verse 8, you know Christ. You've, you've gained Christ. You know, what is it to know Christ? Well, it's so much more than just knowing some stuff about him, knowing a few facts about Jesus. Paul says this surpassing value of, of knowing Christ, my Lord, it's, it's possessive, it's personal personal knowledge, it's, it's, it's indicating this, this relationship that's intimate, it's, it's personal. He knows Jesus. I mean, listen, I, I have basic knowledge, knowledge, general, basic knowledge of junior hires, of you guys. <laughs> I know some stuff about you. I know we have a lot of, you know, homeschool general love for sugar. I know where most of you sit. (laughs) But I would never say I have like this kind of knowledge about you. Callan, sorry to introduce you. I have knowledge of Callan. He's my son, in case you didn't know that. 
I'm Callan's dad. So I have personal knowledge of Callan. <laughs> he, I can't shake him. He's in my house all the time. Drove him here. Like, I know him. I know what he likes. I know what he doesn't. I, I know what he likes to eat and what he doesn't. I know what he thinks is funny and what he doesn't think is funny. Callan still needs a bedtime story. No, I'm just kidding. He doesn't. I'm just kidding. He doesn't. But listen, that's the point. I know some stuff about you, but not even close to the way that I know my son. And that's what Paul's saying here. I know Jesus. We've moved way past some just information. My Lord, he says, if you're a Christian, you know Jesus. Jesus helps us to understand that in John 10. He says, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. That's this great picture that Jesus gives of himself as the shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. You know me and I know you and you know my voice. That's what it is to to know Christ. You know him as your Lord. And Paul says he has joy in not only knowing him, but but that he gained Christ. He, he, He puts all of his accomplishments and all of that pedigree of who he is in his last name and in his family, and he throws it in the garbage. It means nothing compared to to gaining Christ. For Paul, there isn't anything better than this relationship with Christ, knowing him savingly. He says it's better than anything in the whole world. Anything. And I, and I have it. I have so much to be happy in and joyful in. And I'm telling it's worth nothing compared to following Christ, knowing Christ, gaining Christ like this. Stuff isn't worth anything. And he wanted Christ more than everything. And we can learn from that attitude. Christians, you know, shouldn't live concerned about stuff. We shouldn't be looking for joy in in those personal achievements. We shouldn't be looking to find that satisfaction in some relationship or, you know, some new toy or, or whatever. We don't live that way. We also don't put any confidence in anything that we can do for, to, to earn God's favor. We rest and we trust knowing that we're, we're saved by grace, we're, we're forgiven by mercy, and we're growing in our faith by God's sustaining love for us. And there is such joy in that. There's such joy in Jesus, unlike anything else you can find. So Paul's saying all the things he used to be so proud of, that he used to just stand back and just admire all the things that he used to say, man, look at all of that. Now here Paul says, no, I, I, it's garbage. It's worthless. He actually calls it another word, and it's it, just, I love the Bible because you can't make this up. It's, it's the number two. It's not number one, it's number two. You know which one. That's how Paul describes it. So again, what are you fighting for? What are you pursuing? What are you chasing after? Those things that you're putting such value in and if putting, you're putting such hope in that it will deliver this joy. I 
Maybe you have everything you want. Let me ask you, are, are you feeling satisfied? Do you feel empty? you feel like you just keep needing something else and something else and something else? Listen, that's never going to end. It's always going to be that way. Something bigger, better, newer, just not quite satisfied. Paul lays it out here. The only thing that will satisfy you, the only thing that will fill your joy is Christ. This relationship with Jesus, gaining him, knowing him. Really fast, verse 9, Paul just says, to be found in him, not having this righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, this righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Why is Jesus so valuable to Paul? Why does he have such joy in Jesus? Because he knows his sin is forgiven. He knows how wretched and awful his sin is, and he knows that Jesus paid for that sin. And he knows that the righteousness of Jesus is his. This great exchange has taken place. He knows he's covered with the righteousness of of Christ. And Paul's looking forward to the day when he meets Jesus. He's not afraid of that day at all. He anticipates it. What it will be like to stand before Christ because he's confident that he'll be found righteous. He knows that he has the righteousness of Christ covering him. Junior hires, that's how we should want to be found. This is the way that we would want to stand before God. We can confidently just stand in his presence, knowing we have nothing to fear, just standing there, knowing that we were covered by his righteousness. Otherwise, what will it be like? You know, standing there with our our pockets turned out with nothing to offer God, a few measly deeds like lint in your pocket. Uh, Look, hold on, Lord, I got one. It was was nice to my brother once. Here you go. (laughs) Does that help? I served Shepherd's Conference once. There's another piece. I have a lot of lint in my pocket. That's what it would be like. It's embarrassing. What a, what a horrible moment that would be. But what joy there is knowing how that moment can go if we're covered by the righteousness of Christ. I read this illustration. Our attempt to be found in our own righteousness is like when Adam and Eve put on those fig tree little outfits that they made, these little fig leaf things. But we're when covered in the righteousness of Christ, we're dressed and covered by God instead. That's what Genesis 3.21 says, that God made garments and covered them. That fig leaf outfit, you know, that's, that's what it's like to stand there in our own attempt to be righteous before God. It's pathetic, lame even. In Christ, we're not found like that. And then, Verse 10 and 11, Paul's just giving testimony to God's power at work in his life. He's growing in his faith. He's deepening in his relationship with Christ. It's so joyful for him. And he just wants people to know it's his testimony. He's got this experience. This joy lasts. This joy is real. And he wants these believers to have the same joy, which is why he says in verse 1, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. 
Jesus is the source of real joy. It was for Paul. It has been for everybody who's followed Christ since. And this world will tell you that there's joy to be had in all sorts of things. And that joy will not last. Without Christ, your effort to prove to God that you don't need him, that you'll look for joy in all the things outside this life, all the things that, that, that are just apart from God. You're looking for joy in all of that. Without Christ, that's just you continuing to convince yourself, I don't need God. Give me a new iPhone. I'm good. According to Malcolm Forbes, he who dies with the most toys wins. And uh, not anymore, but you could have made that argument for him in the 90s that he died with the most toys but he didn't win. The Bible makes that crystal clear. Jesus said, what good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? I am 100% confident that if he could, he would trade all of that for the joy that's available to you now in the gospel. Happily. Joy in Jesus, the only source of real joy. Father, thank you for tonight, Lord, a a good reminder for us of the joy that we have in you, the joy that's available through you and through a right relationship with you. I pray that you would help us to think about the seriousness of that and to see the warning that's all around us as people pursue sin and the pleasures of this world and all the things that are just joy substitutes. They get so close, but they don't really last. Thank you for your word that declares the truth that there is joy in you and it's joy that's real and lasting. God, I pray for these young people that you would help them to see that, to understand that and to want that. God, I ask that you'd be honored tonight with small groups, be with the leaders Help these students to engage and ask real questions. Take advantage of the next 15, 30 minutes, Lord, whatever. We're thankful for our church and for tonight and pray that you would be honored most. In Christ's name, amen.